Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Altman. Today, we're talking about something that is near and dear to my heart, which is the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to presentations and how they put themselves out there with your clients and prospects. And my guest today is somebody who is an absolute expert on this because he's the CEO of Beautiful.ai, Jason Lapp. So Jason, let me welcome you to the program. Hey, Ian. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. So the, the topic is the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to presentations. And we use your tool internally and we don't get paid to use your tool. We use it. So it's funny because when people reached out and said, hey, do you think Jason would be good on the podcast? I'm like, I know that stuff. We use that stuff. But I wanted to, instead of talking about what it is that it does and how it helps people, I want to start by helping people identify problems that maybe are traps they fall into with their presentations. So can you start down there, down that path in terms of what problems you see people making when it comes to presentations? Yeah, sure. So obviously we're a presentation company, but I've got a long background in uh, selling and presenting myself. Um, but I think there's there's four things that I usually identify with that I, I see people making really big mistakes with. Um, the first is company branding. So when we start to look at how do you show up in the room, how are you representing your brand? Do you have the right fonts, the right colors, uh, the the right voice, the right tone, and more or less getting some structure around the the starting point of whatever you're presenting so that it's clean and consistent throughout. And, and Jason, my, my sense is that it's not so much that companies never put branding in place. What I often see, and I don't know if this is something that you guys see a lot, is that the organization will, their marketing department will spend a fortune. They'll work with designers. They'll work with a, an ad firm. They'll work with an agency that comes up with this amazing design. And then their reps all of a sudden have a presentation that's tomorrow morning, and they kind of wing it, and it totally violates every branding guideline that they have. And that's that's right, Ian. I, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it. I'm, I'm probably guilty of it at some point in my career. Um, there's a hard thing between trying to customize a presentation for your audience and staying consistent with your brand. And I think it's it's hard for companies to get that right. Um, I think it's hard for them to build structure that is repeatable uh, for every situation. But uh, you know, obviously, the biggest mistake that we see sales reps doing is going off the going off the grid and putting things in. And that don't belong. I mean, one of the biggest things I always see is clip art. Um, I don't know if people still use yeah. the word clip art, but <laughs> clip art is you know out of out of the box, or they pull it off Google because they thought it was good. In fact, recently I saw a presentation that had puppy dogs and tennis balls in it, and that's just the <laughs> wrong direction. So the first thing is this idea of branding and consistent branding and maintaining that consistency throughout. So the second one, are you saying it's clip art or, or is there something different than just the clip art? No, before, so before I get to maybe clip art, there's, there's a, another practical thing that I think a lot of people overlook when they start to create presentations. And it's really this idea of what is your structured storytelling? Um, what you often see is unstructured storytelling. It might be linear, but you're going up and down and you're all over the place and you're distracted and jumping from one topic to the other. Um, and it becomes sort of a, a potluck of different things. Um, so really the, the big area that I think that is a mistake but can be fixed really quickly is this idea of 
have you figured out what your story arc is? You know, and it I has to be custom. You can't come out of the box. Your marketing team may have made this perfect pitch, but it has to be custom to the people you're talking to. And you have to know what the story arc is. Yeah. You know what? I, I love that you mentioned that as someone who is a who spends most of my life as a professional speaker. A lot of my time is spent on that arc of the story and what happens and where's the conflict and and how do we engage people into the story. And I think it's interesting because most of my presentations have very few, very few words on them at all. It's all imagery. And I remember someone came up to me after a session and said, well, your stuff must be easy because you don't have any words on your slides. It's just images that tie to that theme. So, man, I, I, I should start doing that. That must be so easy. And I said, try it. Because, as you know, to have the right image that conveys the right thought that ties into a message is very intentional. And it's something that very often people overlook. And instead, what they do is, and, and this is something that I'm curious if you see this also, one of the things I see is the rep who's preparing a, a presentation. It could be someone in marketing, it could be someone in sales, a sales associate, doesn't matter. Whoever's coming up with it, what they do is they open up their favorite presentation tool and they think, what do we want to say to the client? And then they type that onto the slide. And the question I often ask people is, okay, so th this is your deck, yeah. What are you planning to say? And I'm assuming it's not what's on the slide. And they go, no, no, we, we were going to say what's on the slide. It's like, no, you can't do that because it's death by PowerPoint. You've got, you've got text and bullets in there. The bullets are there so people can kill themselves. I mean, it's just an awful way to go. So I'm curious to get your thought on that as well. Yeah, I, I, I want to get to what you're talking about, which is um, which is visuals um, in, in a second. But I think just one more thing on this uh, this idea of story arc, and it's really simple. I mean, for any rep, for anybody who's trying to think about how do they put this together, it's exactly what you said. There is a natural curve of a story, and it may have multiple curves. It may go into multiple multiple iterations. But the idea of how do you match your story to your to your visuals is a really important element. And if you have the classic beginning, middle, end, or it's crisis, climax, uh, punchline, whatever that might be, you wanna be able to then take the imagery along that path and structure it in a way that makes sense. And, and I think that's where you're going, which is, okay, well, imagery is important, but the, the real thing is the big mistakes happen when it comes to imagery. Um, and there's sure. two things that I see. There's one which is what I was talking about earlier, which is the clip art, the poor pictures, the off-brand stuff, um, or even your company stuff can be really, you know, difficult to put into the mix. Um, so there is this idea of like, well, what is the dynamics on the page? Is there too much text? Are the visuals appropriately positioned? Um, do they match the story? But there's another bigger theory that people need to think about when they're presenting, which is if you're showing up to a meeting and you're showing up with a PowerPoint or a presentation to start, you're already losing your audience. So you need yep. to figure out like you're the presenter, you're the main focus of the room, but when you're using the content behind you or in a presentation, you want graphs, you want diagrams, you want videos, you want multimedia, you want to use it as a prop to telling your story, not to tell the story. You know what? I, I love that you said, in fact, as someone, there, there's a um, there, there's a group out of um, out of New Jersey called Heroic Public Speaking. Michael and Amy Port 
run this amazing program. And, um, and part of people who train there, and I had done something called A-Lister there years ago. We took several of us who do a lot of speaking, and six of us spent a few days just ripping apart our talks and building them back together. And part of it is that notion that if you have a proper arc of the story, you can give your presentation with your slides or without, and there's almost no difference because you know your material forwards and backwards, you know where everything's gonna deviate, it all works great. The biggest challenge becomes that then it's a matter of, okay, if my slides are going to add something or help people remember, fantastic. If they aren't, then maybe I shouldn't use them. And that's, that's the, the balance. And in some cases, the value of, pre, of a presentation is what you leave behind after. It may not even be what you're delivering at the time. Yeah, um, and, and that's a good point. I think there's a couple of things in there. One of them is um, the use of the use of visuals to do that storytelling. And I think you and I both have to admit that sometimes, you know, product details or something that's IP specific or unique might require that level of detail on a slide, or it might be a centerpiece for the conversation. But like, as you said, for the story arc, you don't need a slide for every part of the story. You might want to figure out how to get it down to three to five slides, 10 minutes max as sort of a test to make sure that you're, you're keeping some balance between not overdoing it in the slides. How does your team measure up against others when it comes to being on the same side with your clients or prospects? Find out at samesideselling.com slash scorecard to take the Same Side Selling Assessment. And if you want to learn more about the Same Side Selling Academy, visit samesideselling.com. There's something else you said that I thought was that I thought was really interesting earlier, which is you were talking about this notion of of when you're presenting and, and you show up with a PowerPoint or presentation and that's your presentation. One of the traps that I think sometimes people overlook is that if you start the meeting with a presentation, what you've just told everyone in the room is, hey, it's time, it's it's nap time. We're gonna turn the lights down, we're gonna turn the projector on, you can shut off. And now I'm going to present something to you. And one of the one of the piece of advice that that I really try to implore upon the people in my Same Side Selling Academy and the clients I work with is, if you have a presentation, by all means, don't start with it. So what you wanna start with is if you're meeting with potential clients, you wanna start with a discussion. You can even start by saying, here's our understanding of your situation. And I wanna make sure that we ask you some questions to make sure that we can actually help and that what we have would be useful. And if so, then we're happy to give you a presentation that shows that. But I want to spend probably the first half of our meeting making sure that we're on target before we go into any of our product or service. Is that okay? And almost no one's going to say no to that. And if you can set that up in advance, even better. Yeah, I love that, Ian. I, um, I'm a big proponent of the same thing. I, I love to talk. I love to engage the audience. And, and I think there's another element of what you're talking about, which is it gives you context for what you should and how you should present, even if you just do spend two minutes doing that up front. Yeah, got it. So, so, so we mentioned we mentioned this idea of the four different problems that are biggest mistakes that people make. So that first one, the first one was this notion of the branding side. The second part is this lack of arc of a story. What other traps do people fall into? 
Well, so the third, which I think we just sort of mixed it together with the yep. storytelling is this really this, this idea of visuals. Um, and that was, you know, we talked about sort of what not to do and, you know, sort of how to structure content in a way that's more engaging. There are so many tools out there right now to create great graphs and diagrams and videos. Um, you know, even inside of uh, beautiful.ai, the product that we have, we've gone to great lengths to to make it easy to make a Venn diagram or a timeline or, um, you know, a pinwheel or different things that, that you should be able to construct really, really fast that sure. differentiate your conversation and your content in the room. Absolutely. And I, and I think that that notion of of having detailed information and graphs and charts and visuals is really valuable. One of the traps that I see people fall into, and as someone who presents at a lot of different venues and I see a lot of different speakers, my favorite is the speaker stands up there and says, yeah, I'm not sure if you can see this from the back. And of course, when you say that, you know people can't see it from the back. In fact, you're pretty sure people in the third row can't see it when you're doing that. And I have a feeling this may tie into kind of the the fourth mistake that people make. But you tell me, um, what's the what's the fourth trap that people fall into? Oh, I could go on for days about those types of presentations. Um, my my fourth sort of takes us down a little bit different of a uh, a route from what's in the moment of presenting and more into the idea of making sure you judge yourself with a feedback loop. Um, so I'm really big on this idea of, you know, and I think anybody who presents, you you need to rehearse 10 times before you show up on stage. You have to get through all the ums and likes and, you know, stalls in your voice and things that, that you're going to do. But one of the biggest things, especially in today's world of video is, is recording. Um, recording and getting feedback. And the reason I think feedback loops are important is that we all hate how we sound. Like I, I, every single time I, I get used to it because you do it a lot. But every time I look at a re recording of myself on video these days, I'm like, oh, God, you know, I'm getting older or, you know, I don't like the tone of my voice or I'm not talking fast enough or I said um too many times. And, and the challenge is that nobody wants that feedback. But that I actually think is the killer thing for you to do in order to improve your presentations because content you will find out in the room quickly if people are dozing off, if they're picking up their phones, if they're talking to somebody, you can see that. Um, yeah. Not necessarily online, but I think there's other ways that you need to make sure you're measuring yourself so that you don't just rinse and repeat with content that's not great. Sure, sure. And I, and I think that what's fascinating is as a speaker, one of the things that we'll often do is we'll put a camera facing the audience. And so after a session, I'll look at where and how did the audience react at different parts in a talk. Now, one of the biggest challenges that we've had in the world of the pandemic and Zoom was, yeah, there's an opportunity to get some of that feedback, but not as real time. If everyone's camera is on, as someone who likes to use humor in my talks, it's tough to get a sense of how a joke landed or the timing of it in that environment. And I will tell you that over the last year and a half, two years, when I look at recordings now, especially in Zoom sessions and even in podcast interviews, I find those little those little stop words, the uhs and ums coming back in. And I think to myself, where did that come from? And it just comes from not speaking at 75 events a year and all of a sudden speaking fewer, I guess. 
it's it's fascinating to, to see. I, I do I do want to get your thoughts on this idea of one of the things I see often is reps or marketing people with the best of intentions basically employ what I'm what I'm guessing is Wesson oil and a shoehorn to get all the content they can onto the slide. So they're just trying to cram as much stuff on there. And it's almost like they couldn't possibly go to another slide. So they got to get everything on this one slide. And I just think to myself, what compels you to do this? Because one of the things as a speaker that I'm always conscious of is that when you put up a slide with words on it, the audience can either listen to you or read everything on the slide, but they can't do both at the same time. So how do you help people not have that, that vision of everything and all the content is thrown up on one slide? It's like, oh yeah, my presentation today I was really efficient. I only have four slides for the hour. You look at the, fir the first slide and you're like, it's gonna take 40 minutes for someone to read that content and they're gonna need a magnifying glass. So, so how do you deal with that? Yeah, I, I mean, that's a massive problem. I don't know if it's insecurity of the speaker or the presenter. I think it's challenging, the design principles around what you and I have been talking about are there's probably a less is more type of logic that needs to be put in place every time you're, you're creating a slide. There's some structural stuff in terms of like, where's it positioned? What does it look like? There's a lot of good reading you can do to find that stuff out. Um, we built some of these features into our product and sometimes we have presenters or users that don't like the product or they push back and they say, I can't get enough on the page. Um, and now I went from trying to present on one slide to having four slides, um, but it's sort of the point, which is you shouldn't have one slide. If the conversation is four slides, have four slides, produce the content and get better structure around it. But the reality is you're absolutely right. Like if you're putting that much content on the page, there's no way you're going to get past slide one in 10 minutes and your audience is going to lose attention really, really fast. Yeah, and, and I think that one of the things that, that people often overlook is this notion that, and, and it's one of the things that I love about the beautiful.ai platform, is very often someone will say, well, I want to emphasize this piece. So, And then they start going through the color wheel, and they're like, oh, I'm going to make this one purple and this one green. And it's like, and it looks like just a Technicolor nightmare. Instead of in your tool, you say, okay, I want to add this. And, and I click on the bold tool, which is really just another way of saying, I want to emphasize this. And it picks the color that's aligned with your branding. And you can't pick a different color. And if you say, no, no, I want to make this bigger, it says, no, no, you really don't want to do that. And to me, it's almost like you've got, when I'm using it and people on my team are using beautiful.ai, it's like we have that little angel on our shoulder going, yeah, no, you really don't want to do it that way. And it's almost like it, it prevents us from making these stupid mistakes. And you have the ability in the platform to reinforce all of the branding and have consistent branding. So now if people in the field say, oh, I need to add a slide that has these three elements to it, they pick from, the, from their template that's got all the, right, all the right design elements. They pick the right structure from, from you guys. And now when they create the slide, it's gonna tie in with the branding, it's gonna tie in with the messaging. And if I understand correctly, if six months from now, the organization gets acquired and their branding changes, you can just change it back in the core engine and it ripples through all the other presentations. Isn't that right? 
Well, you, first off, um, I'm excited that you're a user of the product. You, you're clearly a salesperson for me as well because you know it really well. Um, I think there's a couple. You, you unpacked a few. There's a few things that we should unpack in your in your comments there. Um, I think the design principles that we built into the product were intentional. We 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 call it beautiful.ai because we created this design AI that gives you that structure. It's meant to be your guardrails and keep you keep you from doing things that are that are silly mistakes. It's meant to make it so that you don't end up with 15 different fonts, 10 different colors, you know, boxes all over the place. It'll stop you. The product will. Um, and that yeah. can be frustrating because you've got to learn how to how to reuse it. But when you're using the product, it's really this mindset of, OK, well, they understand design. I am a I want to be a creator. And I think we have this challenge today is that literally everybody wants to be a creator, whether that's you know, in their personal life or in their work life, and we don't have tools to do it. And the, the larger issue is that we all want to be creators, but less than 1% of us are designers. I'm a sales yeah. guy. I'm not a designer. Mitch, who created Beautiful AI, he's a designer and he gets it and he could do this all day long. What I need is structure and orientation so that I can take all these great ideas I have and create visual stories without having to worry about that. Well, and, and Jason, the funny part of this is that I often say when it comes to creativity, if I was drawing a stick figure, it would probably be missing a limb. So, um, so I have, I have like, if, if left to my own devices, I'm gonna create stuff that is far from beautiful. It's gonna be ugly and hideous. And I look back at presentations I used to make and as a professional speaker, I had, I had engaged and, con and contracted with designers to design slide decks. And we've actually taken those same decks that we professionally designed years ago and in a matter of minutes, repurposed them in beautiful.ai and made it so that now if I need to add something on the fly for a presentation, it used to look like here's this beautifully designed presentation and then here's a slide that was designed using the Fisher-Price My First Presentation Toolkit. And it was yeah. just like, it looked awful. It looked like a kindergarten, kindergarten student had created that one slide in the presentation and now, when I add something, it looks great. Now, it's also because it's all shared, because it's all cloud-based, someone on my team can say, hey, I see you added this slide. Um, I picked a different image that I thought better suited that part of the presentation. I'm like, oh, Emma, thanks so much. But it's something that usually I see tools and I think, yeah, I don't need this thing. And when I, when I first started working with beautiful.ai, and I need to make it clear to people, I, I'm not an affiliate. I'm not, I don't, I don't get paid by you guys. There's nothing like that. It's just, I'm a fan of the tool, which is why when someone said, hey, do you want to have Jason on the podcast? I'm like, absolutely, because I actually use their stuff and, and I like it. There are things that we, we have about a 50 page document that documents the entire same side selling methodology. And we created it in beautiful that AI in, in, in a matter of, I don't remember how long it was, but it was less than a day from beginning to end. And people look at it and say, oh, this is beautiful. Like the way this was designed, the design of this is incredible. And I'm like, yeah, we just used your platform to build it. <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, I think what you're talking about is really interesting. There's, um, there's this, the, the need for, you know, having a marketing and creative design team is, is still absolutely there. I think you know, we're sort of uh, an additive element to that that carries on great work beyond the creation of some of that stuff. So 
Um, there are absolutely times where beautiful AI is not going to step up to the plate and do that level of work that a professional designer can do just because of the, the, the fact that they've spent 20 years building the experience to use software to manipulate content to create really, really cool things. Um, but I think what's, what's interesting about what you're talking about is you said it earlier, which is sometimes your company goes through a brand change or you release a new product or you have a new series of ways of positioning or your messaging. And the thing that we all experience is, well, what do I do with the old stuff? And if I'm really good at presenting with the old stuff, how, why would I sunset it? So what Beautiful AI does is it gives you a little bit more of a, a platform to control some of the content and start, um, start producing content as starting points. So a lot of the times I like to talk about when people ask me, uh, how do you create a great presentation? Um, I'm not a guy who's going to start from a blank sheet. I don't want to have to figure out every element on the page. What I'd like is one, some inspiration. And then two, what we talked about earlier, which are design guardrails. And the combination yep. of those two things, if you've given me inspiration and a starting point as a company, I can iterate and create really custom great content really, really fast. So to your 50 page deck, that shouldn't take you two weeks. That should take you a couple hours of manipulating content that you already started. Yeah, exactly. And the idea was we already had this arc of the story. We already had the methodology. It was just a matter of how do we present this? Well, we, we want to show kind of like a, a flow chart. And then of course we look into beautiful, beautiful that AI. It's like, oh, you want something that's a flow diagram? Think. Here it is. Well, how do you add an element? Oh, I clicked to add an element. Okay, well, I want to emphasize this. Oh, look, it's picking our branding colors. And it just made life so much easier for us. And so it's really fantastic. Um, I want to give a quick recap of everything we talked about. Before I do that, yeah. what's the best way for people to reach out to you and connect with you? Because I know that you and the folks at Beautiful.ai have got a ton of resources for people. Yeah, so uh, through our website, it's the easiest. Um, if you want to see the product, it's uh, it's free to trial, so it's a good way to to get your 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 feet wet um, and and check it out, uh, which is uh, beautiful.ai. Um, and then me personally, I'm Jason at beautiful.ai. I you know I I I love this conversation. I'd happily you know connect with individuals if they wanna they wanna continue it. That's great. So let me give a quick 30 second recap of what I think are the key points from our session. And then I'll give you opportunity for rebuttal to cover anything that maybe I missed. So the, the, there are these traps in essence that people have when it comes to presentations. The first is this idea of consistent branding and people kind of growing their own on the side and it, and it helps it hurts to erode the brand. The second point is that when you're presenting, you want to make sure that you've got the proper arc of the story mapped out. So you've thought through that arc of the story and what your message is, beginning, middle, middle, end, where are conflicts. You can't just jump into a presentation. Think about it. There would never be a movie that anyone would pay to see that is a demo of your product. So, so the idea is we want to make sure that we've got an arc of a story that creates some sort of interest. The third thing is visual images. So we want to use things that are appropriate to your brand, that are polished and professional. When you pick clip art or some image you just happen to find online, it usually looks that way. It doesn't represent your brand as well as possible. And of course, if you're creating graphics, if you're creating information and you're wondering, gee, can people read that? You already know the answer. 
and there's too much information on one slide. And the fourth piece is make sure that we have that feedback loop so that you're actually getting feedback from other people. You're, you're incorporating that in and constantly improving what it is that you're doing. So, Jason, what did I leave out? Did I, did I leave anything uh, important? I don't, I don't know. You've got a special talent, Ian. I, I've, it's, very, it's very few people could summarize like that. Um, I think you nailed it. Um, I think I, I maybe second a couple of things that you said, um, you know, when you're thinking about presentations, you should be thinking about it as entertainment and as a show. It, it needs to be different. If, if you're using slides, you know, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be stock. They should be, they should have a, a personal custom touch to your audience. Um, and there are so many tools out there right now that it's almost inexcusable for you to be doing things that, you know, you didn't take some time to actually, you know, build some nice, uh, some nice video, some nice imagery, do a, do a few things that are that are really simple these days because it does show to your customers that, you know, that's it's it's who you are, and yep. if if you're not showing up that way, you know, it shows that you might be an uninspiring partner. That's you know that's that's fantastic. I'm a big fan of the beautiful that AI platform. We use it all the time, and um, my whole team. It's not like we have someone that says, "Oh, I don't really like it." Everybody loves it. And the last thing I want people to consider is this: is that when you are presenting, don't fall into the ADD trap of axis displacement disorder. That's where you believe the axis of the Earth has shifted and the world revolves around you. Make sure that all of your presentations have your client or audience as the center of attention, and everything is centered around them. So. This has been the Same Side Selling Podcast. Jason, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. And we will see everybody on the next episode of the Same Side Selling Podcast. Thanks again, Jason.